I just want the checkbox to be like, yeah, go ahead, send it. I want to help him, yeah. but shut yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, totally. Me too. Shut up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said it would take a while. Firefox 57 loaded it in like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true, Rocco. It did. I'm ready. Are you, Alan? Yep. All right. Let's do it then. Let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 46. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. Ryan, we have one of the most special guests ever right now. I know. (laughs) You haven't stopped gushing about him all week. It's just been nonstop. Like, Ryan, we need to prep again. I'm like, we just prepped yesterday. You're like, get on. We're going through the notes again. Alan's going to be on here, and he's serious business. <laughs> there you go. Come on, I'm on that bed. <laughs> yeah, you were that bad. Was I that bad? <laughs> Hi, Alan. guys. How are you doing? <laughs> it's awesome to have you on, Alan. Hey, it's lovely to be here. Alan, you don't need an introduc- introduction, but you are pretty much everywhere you are everywhere with ubuntu you have all of the social media outlets google plus twitter i noticed that um you had your cat has a twitter <laughs> uh, actually they, they both do i have i have two cats and uh they've mastered the opposable thumbs thing so now they <laughs> they're on twitter all the time <laughs> do they have more got, followers than you <laughs> thankfully not that would be <laughs> embarrassing um so you use uh, Mastodon, you're on YouTube, you're on Launchpad, GitHub, Ubuntu member, Ubuntu Loco members, which we're going to have to get into and talk about. But you work for Canonical. So mm-hmm. let's start with wh- what do you do at Canonical? Because it seems to change all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it does. And I've worked at Canonical for six years now. Um, and my role has changed a few times uh but at the moment i'm doing community advocacy stuff so that means um helping uh set up infrastructure that allows the community to do what they do contribute to ubuntu um reach out to developers find out how to make things easier for them make things better uh solve problems for people in the community um basically oil the wheels that keep the community uh work flowing basically very nice Okay, so going back to the Ubuntu Loco member stuff, what is the Ubuntu Loco member? So when when uh, Ubuntu first kicked off like 13 years ago, like 2004, um, there were a lot of people around the world who were uh, wanting to get involved, wanting to do things like translate texts for their local language, um, wanting to advocate for Ubuntu and help by installing it on you know their friends' systems and you know helping people out with support, and rather than have lots of individual people all around the place doing different things, we started to organise them uh, into teams to you know give people a bit of direction and uh, so they could work together you know and and not not feel like isolated as as individuals but be part of a bigger bigger group right. so loco loco just stands for local community it's a shorthand for local community and so there are loads of loco teams around the uh, around the world and uh, i i'm part of the uk loco and there are locos in other countries as well 
So for, for a long while, I've been a member of the UK Loco. So anyone could really go join a team and start assisting. And you, I see there's events on here as well, mm-hmm. like documentation days and things like that. So if you're a fan, that's some place to definitely go check out to start participating. And that's awesome that yeah. you did that. Because that's one of the questions we always ask everyone is how do we get involved? How do we participate? And right. I think it's a little more comfy with the team around you too than right. just, hey, I'm this guy who kind of wants to help and I don't know what to do. But, kind of puts the nice in, thing is we, we can be flexible. You don't you don't have to join a team. You know, if you want to uh-huh. sit at home and do your advocacy on your own or, you know, help someone install stuff, there's, you, know, you don't. You don't have to join a team. You can, you know, get on and do good stuff on your own. Or nice. if, if you don't, if there isn't a team near you, you can create your own. You know, you can go your own way. See, Rocco, we could create our own team and start helping. <laughs> we could. You totally could. You guys would turn that team off real quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going back to Mastodon, I noticed you have a Mastodon account. What, yeah. What's your overall feeling about Mastodon? Do you do you use it? Do you think it ever is going to be anything as a replacement for Twitter? It's tricky. There's, I think Mastodon is very similar to a lot of open source projects in that um, it there's already a proprietary solution out there, and Mastodon and other like precursors to that, like Identica and status.net and all the other, you know, social networks. What was the other one? Diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they all, they all seem to follow in a path that some other proprietary solution has already gone, whether it's Twitter, Google plus Facebook or whatever. Um, and I think there'll always be a place for them. And, you know, I like that it exists. I like that I can, you know, share stuff with people who choose to be on Mastodon and choose not to be on Twitter. Um, I don't use it as much as I could because actually uh, I have quite a lot of like social networks that I post to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I have limited time to follow conversations on all of them. Right. And and if I spent all my day just looking at Mastodon, then I'd miss out on conversations somewhere else, whether that's, you know, Google Plus or Twitter or Reddit or wherever. So it's tricky. It's it's time management, you know. It's I mean, I, I hadn't heard of the tool, so I was looking at it and toots instead of tweets. Mm. Yeah. It's how are you how are you gonna take something serious when you're <laughs> honey, I'm tooting. <laughs> no, not that kind. The uh, uh, social media. No, but yeah. it, it looks interesting. It looks very much like a Twitter type setup there. Yeah. It's it's good. I mean it works. You know, there's there's mobile clients for it. You can use it just in a web browser if you want to. And it's got a similar it's got a similar feel to me as uh, TweetDeck. Um, the Twitter mm-hmm. client, where you have the multi-column view in a browser, it's it's quite pleasant. There's not there's a there's a lot of uh, people who are into niche things that I probably wouldn't be into, and so I don't okay. follow the global stream because I I would be inundated with stuff in well in foreign languages that I don't I can't even read. <laughs> right, but, you know, there's 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 niche interests there that you know, but there's a lot of free software people on there. Uh, a lot of the people you would have seen on Twitter or on Google Plus, I think. A lot of people who were on Google Plus moved to Mastodon, I think, because they had this feeling that Google Plus was dying off or isn't as popular as it once was and isn't a free software platform. So that is kind of the rumor every year, right? Google Plus yeah, is gone exactly. this year. It's not going to yeah, be around. it's dead. And yeah, it still hangs away. on, it's man. It's still there for some reason. <laughs> Clinging on. And still getting updates. I noticed there was a visual refresh of, uh, of Google Plus just this week. Yeah. Uh, I, loved, oh, I didn't I even see that. that. 
oh wow this is like someone's actually developing this thing <laughs> this is actually breaking news because nobody logs into google Plus. <laughs> you're the first one to hey find. i didn't see it so <laughs> i have a i have a whole separate like uh works when i switch workspaces on my machine uh, i have a completely separate workspace just for social stuff and so nice. i can hide it all the way down there and you know I, i'll look at it now and then yeah that's well, pretty smart well i think that's the biggest problem with the social media but the whole problem is time, like you said. I mean, to have enough time to look at everything at Google+, because there's certain people that just want to use Google+. There's certain people that just want to use Twitter. There's certain people that just want to use Mastodon. So mm -hmm. there's no way possible to have all the time to monitor all of it. So No. And then there are new, there are other interesting uh, places that people hang out. You know, if you, um, people have like their favorite place the place where they're hanging out and it could have been a few years ago that might have been irc uh, it might have been reddit it might have been google plus and now people are using things like uh, discord for example mm -hmm. a lot of you know it came from the gamer side of things so you could voice chat while you're you know shooting someone in the back of the head or something <laughs> but but there's a lot of free software people who uh, strangely hang out on discord um which yeah it's surprising but hey, hey we're like hip it. with the times we have a discord channel that's really how, that's how hip we are yep we're yeah. totally I, I i'm yeah. in like 20 different discords <laughs> and i don't read any of them because i just don't There's have the time to follow not them. enough time well we we go in there to play some rocket league oh awesome every once in a while Right. All right. My we got plays that. It's cool. We got to get to the interview questions, Rocco. You just keep going off well, onto. Well, wait now. We got. There's a minor detail. You just won't stop. There's a minor detail of a. All right. You know, a small podcast that you're involved in. Just a minor detail. Just a minor detail. <laughs> so, tell us about. It's a little thing. Tell us about Ubuntu podcast. So uh, Ubuntu podcast. If you go to ubuntupodcast.org. Uh, it's made by myself and a few friends, Martin Wimpress, Mark Johnson, and there's other people who used to contribute to it over the years that we've done it. We're now in the 10th year of doing this, or in season 10. Um, uh, we run from about February, March through till December, and then we take a break from Christmas through to February the next year. Um, and we do a half-hour episode every week, goes out, on Thursday usually, uh, but sometimes it goes out a bit later than that. Um, and we talk about, uh, alter in alternate episodes, We'll in one episode we'll talk about what's been happening in the news and maybe some community interest stuff in Ubuntu. And then in the other episode we might do an interview or a harbor review um, and read people's feedback and give tips and stuff like that. But the episodes are quite short. They're only half an hour long um, and they're out every week on a Thursday-ish. And they have crazy titles. <laughs> yeah so when we when we first uh started it nearly 10 years ago we thought what do we name these episodes and we started coming up with um theme throughout each year and okay. we left it up to the um the listeners to guess what the theme was after one or two episodes have been out some people guessed it others did never fathomed out some of them um but they're quite fun because uh yeah they, they they always have a theme but the theme is a bit obscure sometimes. Especially oh, now that's this something year. to look for. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's an awesome thing. So now getting into some of the interview questions here, one of the things we like to ask our guests, because I think it's so interesting, um, one of the folks that, that we had on from Manjaro brought out magazines to talk about this point of it, but your history with Linux. How did you start with Linux? What was your first experience? What got you interested in it to begin with? 
So the very first time I even heard the word Linux uh-huh. was in 1994 or something like that. Um, I worked at a college near here and I was a technician at the college and one of the students came in and he was chatting at, at, at lunchtime and he said about this thing called Linux. It's really quite cool. I sent away for a bunch of floppy disks and uh, you know, it's quite interesting and it's a big thing. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. What <laughs> on earth is that all about? Why on earth would you do that? And I kind of poo-pooed it and said, this, this is never going anywhere. Um, and then like a year later, I said similar things about Windows. So I'm like, don't, for, for future like soothsayer advice, don't listen to me because I, <laughs> I clearly cannot predict the future. Um, uh, yeah, or I would have bought Bitcoin, like, you know, tons of it. Many yeah, years you ago. and me both. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was the first time I ever heard of it was from a student at, at where, where I worked. And then I think I saw it on a magazine or I might have seen a book. It might have been like uh, Caldera or it might have been Red Hat. I can't remember. I think it might have been Red Hat. might have been the first one I used. And I think I tried it on an old PC and used VNC to connect to that computer. And mm-hmm. I was blown away because I hadn't done any networking stuff at home. Right. Having a network between a couple of computers and being able to, um, like VNC or SSH between them was just like right. amazing voodoo that I just didn't understand. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think Red Hat was the first one and then moved on to others after that. It's funny you mentioned that because I remember the first time doing like a, I think it was PC Anywhere came out or one of those software packages and, me and my friend for the first time we were kids, you know, was playing and we could connect and see each other's computer. And we're like, we're going to take over the world. Like, it was <laughs> a big deal, you know, and, and uh, those were happy days. Yeah. yeah we used to, I, at the time I was working for a company doing tech support stuff on, well, at the time it would have been MS-DOS and yeah. Um, yeah, early versions of Windows, Windows 3 and stuff like that. And I used to carry around with me one of the, one of the tools of the trade that you'd carry around with you at the time was a, a blue laplink cable that you would use to transfer files around from machine to machine and yeah. and those that was that was like the height of file transfer at the time was a <laughs> was a multi-headed blue cable yeah um, those were the days yeah all times. right so how do you go from installing red hat to working for canonical <laughs> there's a there's a story in between there wow. that we got to talk a about. Long install story. Red Hat, start working. Hey, there you go. I mean, like <laughs> direct, like fast path. Uh, wow. So, uh, so installed Red Hat, uh, used that for a while, um, and I went all the way through the various versions of Red Hat, all the way through till um, early two thousands. And I think it was whenever whenever um, Red Hat 7.1 came out, I think it was 7.1. And around about then, I had a webcam. I actually still have the webcam now. It was a Philips webcam. And there was a lot of trouble trying to get that webcam working. And I had to keep recompiling stuff and recompiling the kernel. And there was some controversy about the the Philips webcam driver, PWC driver, that couldn't be bundled with the kernel. So you had to keep recompiling all the time whenever you updated. And it got really frustrating because there was this thing called dependency hell back in those days where, <laughs> you know, you had to go and get random RPMs from all over the internet. And, you mm. know, if you'd install something and then it would complain it needed another one. And, and so I got quite frustrated and a friend of mine suggested I should try Debian. So I switched to Debian and loved it. And then the same friend a few years later suggested I look at Ubuntu. 
um, because it was even easier than Debian and looked nicer. Uh, so I tried Ubuntu and that was in late 2004. And I, I started using it and I started getting involved in the community and I joined the IRC channels. And then I start, I had some spare time and I started um, doing technical support for users. So I would go to various support places and I would answer people's questions. And a lot of the time I, I didn't have the software that they had or I didn't have the hardware that they had, but I was just making... Like the same, using the same skills that I'd learned in my work, doing problem diagnosis, figuring out what the problem was and, you know, offering them solutions. And I spent quite a while doing a lot of that and getting more and more involved in Ubuntu in the community. And after doing that for, so that would have been from about 2006 through to uh, 2011, 2012. And I did a lot in the community over that time. Mm -hmm. Um and then in 2011, I think, um, I got approached, um, you know, there's a job going at Canonical. Do you want to come and join us? So, and that was six years ago. So wow. yeah, it was, and, and at the time there were a lot of people who were hired in from the community, people who were active in some way in the community. There's a, there's a long history of Canonical hiring people who are active in the community. So it's, um, it, it, you know, it paid off. I, uh, I changed career from what I was doing to working for Canonical. So yeah. You said you offered lots of tech support. So you're probably one of the rare ones that in IRC that don't just say read demand pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, fa in fact, we, we, and that's, that's one of the things I liked about Ubuntu actually is, you know, we can laugh about how, you know, abrasive that is and how funny it is. But for a new user who's like, I, there's one uh, person I remember, a, a woman who posted uh, a support question and she wanted to get, I think it was some music notation software working on Ubuntu. And the back and forth conversation between me and her spanned a few days and she was well, trying to get it working for her husband. And yeah, we spent a fair amount of time, given I know nothing about music notation software, but I managed to get it working. <laughs> and I And I offered her, you know, here's the solution. This is what you do. And it was that kind of approach where you actually help people and you treat them with respect and you don't just say, oh, I read the manual or here's a link, go and sort yourself out. Right. I thought I thought was really nice about Ubuntu. And 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 we try we've tried to keep that with the code of conduct and you know, trying to be respectful to others and uh, ensure that you know you're being making a positive contribution to the world, not just, you know, laughing at stupid people who can't operate, you know. DIR and LS and whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that has since for a long time was not that way. And it's been changing for the better every year. It gets better and better where people, people in the community are more approachable. They're, mm -hmm. they're more willing to help you. And I think that's the best thing about it because it didn't right. used to be that way. No, it didn't. It didn't. And there are some places where it still isn't like there are some free software projects where if you go into their IRC channel, for example, it is really hostile. You ask a question and, you know, in some places you'll get kicked straight away for asking a question because you clearly haven't read the instructions, which say, you know, you have to do this magic incantation before you ask your question or you have to register with some bot before. You, it's just ludicrous nonsense. And and in the Ubuntu IRC channel, we started to, we have bots in there that, you know, offer you solutions. So if someone comes in and says, I'm having a problem with my NVIDIA card. Yeah, we can do bang NVIDIA at the person and go, look, here's some documentation. This will help you. You can mm -hmm. read that. That will that will help solve your problem. And then if it doesn't, we can have a further conversation and debug the thing. But I always felt that that 
the Ubuntu community was very welcoming. And that was very different from what I'd experienced in, in other free software communities. Not, not that they're all bad, but just Ubuntu made an effort to be good. And so I think that I, I felt that was the right thing to do. And it's so amazing because I think back on, you know, I'm, I'm the newer one to Linux, only a few years into it. <clears throat> and had the point where I was trying it out on my channel, people came in and were mean. I would have gone back to Windows and never looked back. And because, though, what happened is people were like, oh, you like that? Do this, do this. And everyone started getting so excited about these videos from a new person playing with Linux. It made me stay. And I I never left. I never booted back in really to Windows to use it because of how people treated me. And I think about that today when people ask questions. I've learned a lot more. I still have a miles to go. Uh, and will never end. That's what's great about Linux. You're constantly learning. But every time you have that opportunity to treat somebody nice means you're bringing somebody else into something that we've all fallen in love with. And the community right. is a huge part of that. And uh, unfortunately, there are still people out there who think it's okay to be like that, to be the, you know, standoffish, RTFM, you know, throw people. <laughs> Ryan knows you know, about that. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. let, <laughs> let me Google that for you kind of links that don't help. Like if someone says, you know, my NVIDIA card is broken and you throw them a, a let me Google that for you link that just says NVIDIA Ubuntu fixes or something like that. How, how is that remotely useful to someone? You know, you, you might be running out of patience with people asking the same questions. Well, then go away. If, you, if, if you're frustrated by doing support, don't do support. Do something else because, you know, you're, you're clearly the ro- it's the wrong job for you. If that makes, <laughs> exactly. Makes yep. All right. So we had uh, a friend of yours on the podcast a while back, Martin Wimpress. And- Very good friend of mine. Yeah. And he mentioned a little known fact that you helped him start Ubuntu Mate. <laughs> is this true? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, nice. So actually, depends you know, how you define start, but I think I probably made the first ISO image of Ubuntu Mate, what would become Ubuntu Mate. I thought, wouldn't it be good if there was a spin of Ubuntu that had the Mate flavor desktop? And... Um, I, I started playing around with some of the tools and I, I started like monkeying around to try and get an ISO image made that would boot and then get you to a Mate desktop. And I pinged Martin because I, I, I'd known him. We weren't, you know, we weren't particularly close or, you know, I didn't know him that well. Um, but I said, you know, we could, um, we could possibly work on this. And, um, and he came around to my house and sat in my kitchen downstairs and that's where the embryo of you know Ubuntu Mate came from was wow. a, hacking, a hacking session in my kitchen, um, which was Incredible. which was quite good. And and now I do basically nothing for the project <laughs> at all. I feel terrible. I'm a user of it and I'm a consumer of it. And every so often Martin will throw me a, a screenshot and say, "Hey, what do you think about this feature that I'm thinking landing?" Or he'll throw me a YouTube video and say, "Hey, look at this." And I'll be blown away as I always am because he he goes quiet for like six hours and then goes, Hey, look at this. And and, I'll, and it'll be a screenshot. Be like, oh my God, you've re-implemented this thing that I really, really like, you know? So he's, he's amazing and does fantastic work. So it's really good. Cause I, I work with him now. We work on the same team at Canonical plus, you know, we, 
play games together and stuff. So yeah, it's it's a good friendship that was born basically through Ubuntu Mate. Nice. So obviously, I, I love the story, by the way, of you guys knocking out the code for this in a kitchen table. I grew up, my dad was a programmer, wrote lots of software oh, nice. and things. And I remember before he ever was able to get to opening a shop, he would work from home. And there were so many times I remember when my family was like, please go get a regular nine to five job. But no, he would sit there and code and I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning, Tums bottles all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just sitting there pecking away writing this software, you know, so I, I could envision that when you guys are just talking about being at a kitchen table. So clearly you've done coding in your life. What is one of your all time favorite projects that you've created or forked? So I always, uh, well, if I ever give a talk, uh, I, I give presentations quite a lot at, uh, at conferences and stuff. I always introduce myself as I'm not a developer because um, I'm, I'm really not. I mean, it depends how you define developer. I've never started well that's not true i have started software projects but um, <laughs> we just had a conversation about that um but I, yeah i don't i don't consider myself a developer i don't consider myself a particularly good developer anyway so uh, uh, one of the one of the things i'm i'm i was quite proud of was the very first time i created a patch um that it's just a one line. In fact, it was a one character patch yeah. in um, a file, in a C program, I think it was. And this was about nearly 10 years ago. Something broke. Uh, a command line utility broke on my system. It just didn't work properly. And I thought, that's a bit weird. So I filed a bug, like you do. Uh -huh. I filed a bug on Launchpad. And I was chatting to a friend of mine on IRC about it. And I said, oh, I filed a bug about that thing. And he, he just said, why don't you just go and have a look at the source code and see where it's broken? And I thought, I can't do that. I, d I don't know C. I, I can't. <laughs> that's impossible. Okay, let's do um, it. <laughs> yeah. So then I, but then I thought, well, actually, I have access to the source code. This is Linux after all. So I just did app get source and then the name of the package, downloaded it. And I kind of, I don't understand C and I've never written a line of C, but I kind of followed the, the flow of the program, found the line that was broken. And then changed to that line. Uh, it was it was just a thing wasn't big enough for a piece of text to go in it, so I just doubled it or made it made it made it what size it should be. Uh, recompiled the thing, ran it, and it worked. So I thought, oh, brilliant! I've made a patch. So I submitted the patch upstream to I submitted it to Launchpad, and I got help from someone else. And I then they said, well, you know, this is this package actually comes from Debian, so you really should submit your patch up to to Debian. So I did, and I got a response from the maintainer of that package, who works on Debian, is Debian developer of you know world renown and repute. Um, and he said, yeah, thanks very much. That fixes it. Great. So there's. Wow! In, somewhere in Ubuntu, there's a one-line patch that I did to one, and that—that <laughs> that was the mine. Yeah, that that character there—that's mine. <laughs> that bit is mine, and and so that's probably, I think that's a good example of how free software works. Like, I love something it. broke, I fixed it. I actually fixed that thing and gave it to someone else. It's not a big thing; it's tiny. It's the smallest you could possibly get, but but you did I, it. But I did it. It's mine. Yeah. And you remember that. You remember yeah. that. When I talk about favorites, you bring that over all the other stuff, with <laughs> which is so neat because, I mean, it's your first experience actually feeling like, hey, I, I've been a part of this. I've done something. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Love that story. All right. So a lot of changes have happened at Canonical over the last year, mm -hmm. and it's been a tough year for some people. So 
Can you talk about that experience at all? Being, yeah. being for yourself and for other people? Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a stressful time. So for those who don't know, and I, I don't know who those people are who don't know, but <laughs> I, I don't want to I don't want to assume. Um back in April, um it was announced that we were going to stop working on some projects that we've been working on for a number of years. So, you know, one of them was Unity. Um and another project we've been working on for a long while is the Ubuntu phone. Um and Mark Shuttleworth, who owns the company and started the project. Uh, put out a blog post that said, you know, we need to refocus, we need to downsize, we need to streamline. And some of these projects we love, but we've got to let them go because we just can't keep maintaining these things. You know, running a software company, even though we're not a huge company, there's about 500 or so people who work for Canonical right now, um, it costs a lot of money. There's a lot of infrastructure as the salaries of all the developers and all the management and all the support staff and everyone else. And we just couldn't sustain it all. Um, and it was difficult because it, it kind of came out of the blue, uh, in April, but we all kind of had an idea that there was something going on. You know, we, we kind of knew that you know, unity development wasn't super active. You know, it, it was bug fixes were being done. It was main, it was under maintenance effectively. And the phone hadn't been putting out updates as, as a regular cadence as you might like for, you know, a, a fledgling phone. So yeah, it wasn't a tremendous surprise to most of us at Canonical. Um, it was a surprise, I think outside Canonical more than it was inside, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it was difficult because these are people we've worked with for a long time, both in Psychonautical and in the community. And some of them had to be let go. Uh, and that was very difficult, very stressful for everyone. And a lot of people just shut down and, and kind of hid away a little bit because we couldn't really talk about it um, at the time. But we've got past that now. Um, and we're focused on all the things we are still doing. Um, and... Uh, you know, I feel sad about those people who've left the company, and but they've all gone on to other things. They've got new challenges, new career options. Um, some have retrained and doing something completely different. So you know, it's as one door closes, another one opens. You know, there you go. Yep. So you know, when you talk about you, you mentioned the phone in there, that's the industry that I'm in is telecom, and been in it for 17 years. Watching the changes happen in telecom has been fascinating from, you know, an Apple standpoint, Android coming in, who has the most apps. Of course, you had the Palm and all this stuff. And then you kind of settled down and you've got the Apple and the Android. And Android's supposed to represent Linux, but it does so, in my opinion, terribly. The idea of having a true Linux-based phone is so alluring to me. And I know you guys stopped that project, but is there any hope? Is there any hope you can give me that one day we're going to have a phone that's truly Linux based with all of the open source values? Like, like this one. <laughs> I, I, I still have my Ubuntu phone and I still nice. keep it charged up and, uh, you know, it's still got all my apps on it. And um, so there's a community around this who picked up the project and, um, Make, continue to maintain it and continue to put out updates. They create images for the devices and so on. Um, I think it was a great idea. I think our goals were very high. You know, when you, when you think about the marketplace right now, the billions of devices that are out there, it's 
almost impossible to get in that market. Uh, we all, we all, we were all very optimistic. Like you look, if you look back in the past at, at other uh, projects like um, like BlackBerry or Nokia Symbian, uh, at, at some point in the past they were number one, right? right. Mm -hmm. And True. they're not now. So at some point everything dies. Now right. Apple is probably going to die at some point in the future. Who knows when? Maybe not within the next couple of years. But maybe at a trillion dollar future. valuation. Not very right. <laughs> it's it's unlikely. I'm not very good at predicting the future, but that one, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I I would stake my reputation on mm -hmm. bad as it is. So we were it was a difficult job for us to do. And you know, there are other people out there still doing it, like the YOLO guys still have uh, selfish OS, which is based on Linux, and uses some of the same components as uh, the Ubuntu phone did. Uh, QML and some of the, the the foundation layers are very similar between the two phones. And then you've got the Purism guys who are building uh, a phone now that they've hit their target yep. within yeah, the Purism's, next year or so. Yeah. So I think there'll always be um, a, a place for those niche platforms. I, I don't think, unless something monumental happens, like massive scandal or um, some government interference or something that like shuts down Google or shuts down Android or something massive happens. I can't see anything changing, but then you would have said that 10 years ago, thinking about Nokia or Black Blackberry. Yeah. So or, or maybe you guys go public as an IPO and raise tons of money and research and development goes into phones. Maybe you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> okay, so the big news for Ubuntu late, lately is 17.10. So it's mm. hit the streets. So after all the dust settles, what is it that... what it, You talk to a lot of different people. You obviously give speeches and whatnot. You, you talk to individuals afterwards. What's the general feel of Ubuntu 17.10? That's a great question. Um, I think there was uh, there was a lot of concern in uh, back in April that uh, with the switch to the GNOME desktop that that was us giving up and that was us throwing our hands in the air and saying, "Screw it, we don't we're not doing a desktop anymore. You guys can do this. We're not we're not involved." And that's far from the case. Um, the amount of effort that went into getting us switched from Unity, which bear in mind we've had as our default desktop for six years, nearly yeah. seven years as our default desktop, switching in six months, like being told that was a bit of a surprise back in April, being told we're switching to GNOME. Uh, wow! You know, and then in six months, the desktop team having to do the work to to you know, change all those defaults, go through all the QA and everything. Uh, especially given that the company has downsized. So there are fewer engineers around to do this kind of stuff. It's not like there is no desktop team. There is a bunch of engineering on desktop. Um, but, you know, that was a lot of hard work and late nights and, you know, stuff to get that working. And from what I've seen, I think the reaction has mostly been positive. Um, I've seen a few comments um, along the lines that, they don't like that we messed with the GNOME session, that they, they really wanted something that was just plain vanilla GNOME. Um, we, we felt that wasn't the right thing to do. 
you can have that. You can install a GNOME session and have vanilla GNOME if you want. But we felt we wanted to have something that would ease the transition of users from Unity to GNOME, which is why we chose a few uh, extensions to, to ease that transition. And also because, you know, we have uh, many years of users using Unity and they feel that that's the right way that a desktop should work. And we may differ from what upstream GNOME think about the way in which a desktop should operate. And we obviously differ from KDE and XFCE and LXDE and all the other desktops. They all have their own subtle different workflows. Um, we've just chosen ours and it seems to have gone down pretty well. Um, we've made some significant changes like switching Wayland by default on 17.10 was quite a bold move for us. Given we've, we've never shipped with Wayland by default and then suddenly, you know, we're going to go for it. Um, and that, that's, that was challenging as well, but it seems to be, yeah, pretty positive. Overall. Well, one of the things that we were worried about, and we talked about it on the channel, I, as a new user, it's kind of funny. Every time you talk to a new user, you're like, what's the distro you use? Ubuntu. The first, It's like everybody's first almost, except yours was Red Hat. But most people, <laughs> it's Ubuntu. Only because Ubuntu didn't exist. Didn't exist. <laughs> um, but one Damn of the all. things I talk about is, you know, when I was going through this and learning Linux, if I screwed up my system trying to play with another distro or go to Arch or whatever it was, I could always rely that I could put an Ubuntu ISO in and get my computer back to normal. And at the times I didn't know what I was doing right. I was creating partitions wrong and things like that. But Ubuntu would always fix it. And I was so scared when you guys were doing the Wayland default because Wayland and NVIDIA, they just don't talk. And so I thought me and Rocco mentioned like, boy, I hope it doesn't become a situation where for the first time Ubuntu is not the one that you can always put in. But you guys did it. You guys were able to make it so that it detected hey, you've got this in here. We're switching you to the X session and it was seamless. Brilliant work. I love it. Yeah, the, the guys on the desktop team do a good job there. And and that was a bit rocky, getting that working. There were there were times during, before the release, before 17.10 came out, there were times where you would log in and it didn't matter which option you chose, you got Wayland. Or <laughs> right. it didn't matter which option you chose, you got whatever it was you last logged in as. So, yeah. you know, there, there was there was a lot of like plumbing work there to to make sure that that was robust and reliable, and that you were guaranteed to get the option you chose, and it would work whatever chipset your GPU is. That, yeah, that, it was that genius, was good work. Yeah, genius yeah. work, and it and it continued the reputation of why a lot of people love Ubuntu, but and a lot of people start with it too and mm. stay with it. All right, so are you running Unity now, or are you still, I'm, or did you switch? I am. On this machine I'm talking to you on, it's running 1604. Uh -huh. So, And I, I stick on, I, I try to stick on the LTSs. Gotcha. Some, sometimes um, I worked closely with the desktop team a few years ago, and so I really needed to be running a, um, the development release. But I try to stick to LTS releases. I have a second machine next to me here, uh -huh. which is running 1710. Um, so I've, and that's the machine that I carry around. If I leave, if I leave this room, that's what's coming this, with you. this machine stays here. It's very heavy. Whereas <laughs> that machine goes with me because it's nice and light and I can take it to conferences or go for a coffee or, you know, while I'm sitting outside waiting for my daughter while she's dancing or something, I can, you know, open my laptop and do a bit of work or something. Nice. Well, one of the patrons has a question and mm -hmm being a you know you've been in development for a while you've been around people you've been around linux for the longest time 
when you come across a problem, like an issue that you can't solve, where do you go for help? <laughs> I mean, do you have some I developer? Hot- <laughs> do you have some developer hotline you call or what? Like- <laughs> yeah, I have a big button on my desk. Yeah, like, bang, <laughs> press the button, and they come. Helicopters fly in. Right? <laughs> no, you know, I'm just like everyone else. Uh, you know, I I encounter issues in my system, and I do what I think the right thing to do is is do a little bit of investigation to figure out if, oh, am I am I doing it wrong? Like, ask a friend, hey, does this happen when you do this? Like, if you press these buttons, does this happen? And see what they say. And if they say, oh, yeah, that does. Oh, it sounds like a bug. Then I will report a bug. Now, I, I personally feel quite strongly that it's a good idea to file bugs. Um, and I, I've had heated discussions with people about whether it's worth filing bugs or not. And some people will say, well, there's no point because it just disappears into the, the big bug black hole and nobody <laughs> ever looks at it. And Or if they do look at it, they ask you obtuse questions for debugging information. You guys have one sloth in of. the background just looking yeah, at one bug exactly. at time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've upgraded. I think we've got two sloths. Two. Yeah, the yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> So I do what I recommend other people do. I go and you know, Google for the error message. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had this today. I was I was doing some work today and something didn't work and I got a really bizarre error message and I Googled for it and I found people talking about this issue on completely unrelated projects, but kind of made sense to me. But it feels like it's a bug and I, I need to report it somewhere. So I don't... I mean, I do kind of have a bit of a hotline in that I lurk in a bunch of IRC channels and I can just ping a developer, but so could anyone else. Like the, like the names of our developers don't change every day. They're, they're pretty commonly on IRC, usually right. between like the European working hours or the US working hours. They're pretty reliably in a, a prescribed set of IRC channels and they're very friendly. And you could go in there and say, hey, I've got this problem. Has anyone seen this before? Like, I'll give you an example. Um, a little while ago, I discovered uh, in Ubuntu that if you hold down the print screen key, I don't know if you ever noticed this, when you press the print screen key in some Linux distros, it takes a screenshot, but it makes the screen flash, like makes mm-hmm. an effect. So, you know, it's like a camera shutter. Right. And I noticed that if you hold your finger down on the screenshot button, it repeatedly does that. So it's like taking a thousand oh, screenshots. So you end up with a thousand copies of uh, GNOME screenshot running and a thousand programs trying to do that flash and that effect. Wow. And it, it feels like you DDoS your own laptop. Just hold the print screen button down. <laughs> Don't do it right now, Rocco. No, no. You, <laughs> that would be you bad will, right now. You will lock up your laptop, right? And so I jumped in the Ubuntu desktop IRC channel because this is an Ubuntu machine. So I jumped uh-huh. in the IRC channel. I said, hey, guys. Um, Try holding down your print screen key, and uh, and I think there's a problem. And then I typed the actual result on the next line, but that was not the best thing to do because a few people just went <laughs> and held the button down. <laughs> and then a couple of minutes later, they were like, "Yeah, thanks, Alan. I just had to reboot <laughs> That's great. because my computer locked up." So, and the, the you know the, those people will help you identify whether it's a bug and where to file your bug. Nice. So yeah, I, I have a hotline, but it's the same hotline you have. Right. So when you look back at Linux, one of the things that's I'm kind of jealous of people who've been in Linux a while, although it's it's kind of fun 
or individuals who tried Linux back in the day and then comment stuff like, oh, you switched to Linux. Good luck installing a game. I'm like, what? You mean clicking <laughs> next and install? Like, what are you talking about? Because they remember the old days. But when you look back when you started with Linux, what are some of the notable changes that really just have blown your mind since compared from then till now? Um, I, uh, I'll give you three. Uh, I'll give them short because I know I give long answers. I'm sorry. Um, one, that Philips webcam. I used to have to recompile my kernel to get my webcam working, right? <laughs> now, wow. I can go That's and crazy. buy, like, like, this is a webcam everyone, you know, has. It's a Logitech camera, right? Right. If I, if I plug this into my laptop right now, it will just work. There will be no faffing about. I can open VLC or cheese, uh, or, cheese or whatever, right? and yeah. this will work. I know that. And chances are 90% of webcams that I plug in will work, right? And the same goes for printers. It used yeah. to be that printers were such a monumental pain that would cause anguish and pain for the user and the administrator. And sometimes they might print stuff out, right? <laughs> there was, that's, that's, that's what printers are. And I bought a printer a few years ago. It was an HP, um, HP 1610 all-in-one thing, which was like a scanner, photocopier, inkjet. Yeah, thing. I've had it. It's pretty good. And I put it on my desk, unpacked it, pulled all the little tabs out, and put the ink cartridges, pulled the things off the ink cartridges, put them in, plugged the uh, – it was a USB – plugged it into my laptop, turned it on, and then sat down. And in the time I sat down, a little pop-up came up on my screen that said, HP DeskJet 1610 <laughs> is ready for printing. I was like, great. I don't need to do anything. Like, I well, didn't need to go and download a 400 megabyte like ISO from HP. I didn't need to insert a CD or anything like barbarian like that. It just worked. Barbarian. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it, that, that's like, that's if you, so if you true. buy the right printer, you know? Yeah. So I went onto Amazon's website and uh, I looked at the reviews for this printer and they're almost all negative and they're almost all negative because the windows driver sucks so bad <laughs> that that's everyone hilarious. complains about the printer. So I left a glowing review of this printer on Amazon about how fantastic it was. And I just sat down and it started working. Ubuntu Linux is awesome kind of thing. And I left the five star review and it's still there. You know, you probably can find it somewhere if you, Google, if you Google hard enough, but that kind of stuff, the fact that it's getting better and better and stuff just works is, is fantastic. Love it. Fantastic answer. All right. So we've covered 1710. So 1804, the new LTS, the daily bills are out. Mm -hmm. So, But what do you see as the biggest challenge for 1804? Like you've had road, you've had not roadblocks, but you've had big changes in 1710. They're not going to be the same challenges that you've had in 1710. There may be new ones. So what do you think is the biggest challenge for 1804? So the thing that I think most people, especially most people who are expert Linux users, so like us, people who like dabble and try different Linux distros, I think a lot of expert Linux users don't realize is there are a lot of people who run Ubuntu. And there are an awful lot of them who run the LTS release and do not use the interim releases. They only run LTS. It's like something like 10 times more people run LTS wow. than non-LTS. I did not it's know that. an insane number of people. It's ridiculous. Um, so those people, and there are a lot of people on 1204, 
1604. And for mm. those people who are on 1604, they won't have seen 1710. Like a lot of them will be just using their computer. And so when 1804 rolls around, they won't actually get prompted to upgrade. And many of those users won't actively go and look for um, a release upgrade because normal people don't do that. Normal people, a box pops up and says, here are some updates. And they go, okay. And they do that. (laughs) They don't go looking for an ISO image. They don't go looking to edit their sources.list and, (laughs) you know, faff about like that. Normal people don't do that. They stick on an LTS because a box hasn't popped up yet to tell them to upgrade. So there are a ton of people on 1604. And when 1804 rolls around, they're going to get a pop-up box. Now, they won't get it in April when the release goes out. We only offer that upgrade when the first point release goes out. So those of you who are on 1710 will upgrade to 1804 probably. But the LTS users probably won't upgrade until June or July next year. And so the challenge for 1804 is making that upgrade experience, the transition from where you are now on Unity on 1604 to where you're going to be on 1804 on GNOME with potentially Wayland as your default, are all those applications you've got on 1604 going to carry on working on 1804? Mm-hmm. Are the things you rely on on a daily basis still going to work? And that is, going to, I think, is going to be our biggest challenge is, is making sure that that process for getting people from 1604 to 1804 is as robust and reliable as possible. I, I love that you guys think that through, though, from the beginning of the end of what the experience is going to be for that, instead of just, oh, well, throw it out there and see what happens. You know, you guys are really trying to make that transition, you know, plan for it and make it good for the users, which I love. You kind of have to because there's a lot of them about. Yeah. <laughs> and if if they're not, like, we get we get letters from from our users, like, to our office in London, we get people writing handwritten letters telling us Rocco. how much they enjoy using Ubuntu. <laughs> Some, sometimes they use a typewriter. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, they, because they want to, you know, it's, it's, it's normal for those people to express positivity about a thing that they have either purchased or downloaded that is mm. good. And so they let us know that it's good. And sometimes our CEO will you know, send out a note to the whole company and say, Hey guys, check out, I got this letter from someone and here are the things that they said. It's very motivational. It's very positive. And it's, it's great to see because we, because we don't have a direct connection to our, our users. Many of our users are actually Dell's customers or the HP's customers, or many of them are people who downloaded an ISO at some point, like five or 10 years ago and have just upgraded all the way through. And we don't know who those people are. We don't track those people. Right. So, you know, we, we have to like hope that they tell us, you know, when things are good or bad. Nice. So is that the idea for putting Waylon in and, and, and you said, you mentioned you had like six months to implement that. Is that the idea to kind of use 1710 to get it all working and proper for 1804? Yeah, you could think of like all of the, whenever you look back over the releases of Ubuntu, the one that comes immediately before an LTS is usually where a whole lot of stuff gets thrown in in order to test that out. You could think of L, uh, the non LTSs as like a beta for the LTS, and the LTS is the final release, right? And I know some people say we should stop doing the interim releases and just do LTSs, but uh, I, I think it's actually quite good that we do these six monthly releases. Um, but 
yes, the 1710 is where we're testing out stuff like uh, Wayland. Something else we did in this release that we've not done previously was uh, installing snaps by default. We've not done that before. In previous releases, everything was built from devs and the ISO was built out of a bunch of devs. And now we've got devs and snaps. The Ubuntu Mate uh, image, for example, ships with one snap by default to test that process. And in 1804, we will no doubt ship more snaps by default in 1804. And so 1710 is where we test that out. 1804, for those people, you know, that that 10 times more people who are coming from 1604, you know, we need to test it out on 1710 where they won't see it and it won't be a problem for them. But us expert users can try that stuff out, <laughs> and, you know, and we, we will be to test it for them. So I love you mentioned snaps. They seem to be all the rage at the moment. Uh, do you believe they're going to be a game changer for Linux? I think they already are. Um, it's just really hard getting that message out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like take, for example, like you're a software developer and you make a piece of software and you want to make it available to as many people as possible. You're, let's say it's um, a desktop application and uh, it's uh, something cool and interesting. You might make a version available for Windows because there's a gigantic market out there, right? Mm -hmm. You might make it available for the Mac because there are people there who spend money, right? And you might also make it available for Linux. One of the problems with distributing software to Linux users is it's actually quite hard. Like if, if you want to distribute a piece of software, the first thing is how do Linux users discover that your software even exists? Right. In the world of Windows and on the Mac, there are stores, storefronts on both of those platforms, just the same as there is on iOS and Android. And it's, it's pretty easy to get your stuff in those stores. It's not actually that straightforward but if you're a developer you can figure it out but there's no such thing on linux there is each linux distribution has their own packaging system and they have their own store as such like elementary right. have a store arch users have the aur uh, fedora have their repositories and so if you're a software developer and you want to get your software out to as many people as possible having to go around all of those linux distributions and package it for all of them is a real pain. And that's that's why I think Snaps can can solve that problem for them, getting their software out. And for the user, the Snaps are exposed in their, their known software so they can find them more easily, but also they get automatic updates. So, you know, you get the you get the benefit of having new fresh software on a version of Linux that may be a year old or maybe two years old. Gotcha. So do you think at some point there will be um, a situation where Snaps is either the main method of getting the software or maybe even a distro that's based solely on Snaps? Is that possible? Um, so making it the primary way you get software, yeah, that could certainly happen. And for some software products, it already has. So for example, I don't know if you're aware of Anbox, which is a desktop Android emulator. The primary way you get that is Snaps. You go to their website, you want to install it, Snap, install, Anbox. That's how you get that software. And so, um, I mean, I've only talked about desktop stuff, but there's also, you know, the possibility of installing Snaps on a Raspberry Pi or on a server or, you know, in the cloud or in a large deployment, um, you know, or on like a digital signage system. You know, you walk down the street every day and there are these big, 
like TV screens with adverts on them. Something's powering that. Something's delivering software to that thing. Mm-hmm. Snaps are a great way to do that because they can update them with you know, new content on a regular basis. They can deploy that software to thousands of those digital signs all around the city right. very easily with Snaps, that kind of stuff. So there's lots of uses for Snaps that are beyond I want to install Skype or whatever on my desktop. There are lots of uses beyond that. Um, whether whether there could be a pure Snap-based system? Well, there already is, actually. Ubuntu Core is that. Ubuntu Core is the kernel is a Snap, the drivers for the hardware are a Snap, and then all the applications you put on top are Snaps. So that's already possible with Ubuntu Core, is you can, you can right. put that on a Raspberry Pi, and then every application you put on there is a Snap. That doesn't mean that DEBs are going away, Right. Because for many of those, the core itself is built from DEBs. And the applications on top, many of them pull DEBs in as libraries when they're built. So I wouldn't, I would say, yeah, there are certainly possibilities for people making like a laptop image, which was all snaps. But those snaps will certainly rely heavily on the Debian infrastructure that we've had for years and we know and love. You know, maybe coming from a corporate standpoint i have a different view than others but to me snaps are so important for the reason you just said you if you want to expand the product you're going to have to have the software if you want the developers making software you're going to have to make it easier for them so they're not having to write it 50 different distros out there and then support it you don't think about the support but they've then got to support 50 different distros one guy saying fedora doesn't work one person saying it doesn't work over here i think it's a big deal but with anything new, there's always those people that come in and say, and sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not, that there's a problem with this. And one of the problems I've heard with snaps, although I haven't been able to find any concrete evidence of it, is there are security issues with snaps. What are your thoughts? So, hmm. I think the ultimate goal for snaps is that we one of the one of the things that snaps provide is uh, confinement so that let's say for example you did have a raspberry pi that had three or four snaps on it right mm-hmm. those snaps can't interfere with each other so right. your camera application if you if you don't want it to have access to the data that's in your database application then it won't be able to see it, it can't just reach out to the file system and get it because they're confined from each other however there are some technologies that we're building upon that are just insecure by default, and X is one of them. So it's a it's it's very tricky because there are certain classes of snaps which are definitely secure, but there are certain classes of applications when you start using things like X, X Windows, X11, we can't secure it as well. And so it's very it's it's not a blanket. Um, they are insecure or they right. are secure. It's certain classes of application in certain scenarios might not be as secure as they could be. However, it is still potentially more secure than having a DEB because if you have a DEB of an application, when you go off to the internet and you go and get a DEB from somewhere and install it, what you're effectively doing is giving that software developer root access on your laptop. Because at the point when you install a deb, there are scripts that run before and after the software is installed. And those scripts run as root, and they could do anything to your machine. So snaps don't have that. Like the when the software is installed, it's confined. And so long as you're not using some of those legacy technologies like X, 
which may eventually go away, right. um, then you won't have those security issues. Now, when you mention it going away, I, I keep I, I have this struggle. I've been asking folks about it. I know some people are saying it's NVIDIA. Some people are saying it's Wayland. I'm sure the answer somewhere in between. But I really hope people don't push Wayland before NVIDIA is there because you're going to lose 50 percent of your market. And we're going to be back to the days where people are not able to use Linux with the hardware that they have. And NVIDIA is dominating. It's not like I mean, we talk about Ryzen or AMD. Great. They're they're totally making a path against Intel. But when you look at their new chip, their new GPU compared to NVIDIA, it's still not there yet. NVIDIA owns it. So what's the solution here? Are you guys going to step in and say, hey, we're going to mediate you two getting together and making this work. Use your power. <laughs> I'm not sure that we have as much power as people think we do. I mean, we certainly have a large user base and we can certainly highlight to NVIDIA there are all these millions of people who are going to come to 1804 next year, and we would dearly love to ship Wayland by default for those users. But a significant chunk of them will be NVIDIA customers, and they might not be NVIDIA customers in the future if the software doesn't work on their, their systems, and maybe they'll choose another path. Maybe they will choose AMD. Maybe they will choose Intel or some other hybrid. Um, I think that's... It. What's, what's more important for us is making sure that that experience works well. So, no, I don't think X is going away next year or the year after or the year after that. I think X is going to be around for a long, long while. We can help move the needle by putting Wayland on by default. Um, and then maybe NVIDIA will notice a significant user base of users who are now you know, shipped with Wayland by default. Perhaps they should be supporting that. But I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a chicken and egg thing. Yeah, we can't. It's difficult for us to go to Nvidia and say, look at all these potential users in the future that you might annoy. Um, I think you know we need to show them we're doing our bit to make sure everything's as robust as possible, and they've got to do, you know, what they can do. But they're driven by their, you know, the reality of business and mm -hmm. you know, where their profit centers are. Sure, um, that's that's down to them, I'm afraid. All right, we've talked a lot of business here, so let's let's talk some fun. You've talked about you've talked about gaming. I thought this was fun already. <laughs> it is fun, <laughs> but um, you are a gamer, and so what do you play? Oh dear, um, I I don't consider myself a gamer. I play games. I don't consider myself a gamer, um, but yeah, I play at the moment. I'm playing a lot of Rust. Um, nice. I just looked on uh, on Steam. I think I've clocked up 430 hours oh in, my Steam, gosh. in in Rust. He's which... not a gamer, but he's logged 430 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not a gamer, sure, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, listen, I tried to explain Rust to Rocco, but talk about an awkward game to explain. You start out naked. Uh, <laughs> you defecate on yourself, and you could use that as a weapon if somebody's coming after you. You build fortresses to try to... Protect yourself and other people try to kill you. How good did I do in explaining that? How good did I do in explaining that? I've not done the defecating <laughs> thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it was in the beginning. Maybe it's not uh, anymore. Uh, 
yeah. It's I think the thing I like about it is I really like open world games. I'm a, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love Minecraft, obviously. I like Grand Theft Auto. I like those kind of games. I like games where I can just choose to find my own path. Mm-hmm. If my own path is building a little shack by the road and going out collecting resources and building a slightly bigger shack a bit later on. That's great. If I'm in the mood and I want to build a gun and go and shoot people in the head, then maybe that's what I feel like doing today. And what I like about Rust is you can do either of those things. Like yeah. my, my son plays it as well. And tonight, just before I came on here, he was um, building a parkour uh, kind of assault course. Uh, he built two, two of them s- side by side so that you could have little contests. And so he built these like little I jumps and steps it. and obstacles and stuff. And that's, I love that, that openness in the game where you can like, uh-huh. you can make your own game. If that, I, I like that. So definitely. Yeah, play Rust a lot. yeah. Very popular game out there, Russ. Have you ever played Rocket League? I have played it, I think, once. Uh, I, I I bought it so that my son could play it because gotcha. I, I share my Steam collection with him. Nice. Uh, and I played it once, and I'm terrible at it, so I never played it again. Oh, uh, well, he, you can't play with us then because we're pros. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right, Rocco? We're terrible at it, Alan, but we have a lot of fun. So <laughs> oh, Maybe I will join you there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd probably be better than us, sadly. Uh, all right. You got any more questions, Ryan? I think we're good. Let, can we do some news with Alan? Because I would love to get his perspective. Alan, you're going to stay for some news. I know sure we, we've, we've, you've, we've burned up so much of his time already. Maybe we just hit a couple big stories there. What do you think, Rocco? All right. So that's there's cool. a lot of Ubuntu news in the in the news. <laughs> well, Are that's we, convenient. Yeah, we right? didn't plan that at all. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. So there's all of these articles that we're going to talk about. Um Ubuntu 18.04, it has to do with. So the daily builds are out, like we said. They, we have a release schedule. Um, but there's a lot of activity in the community as far as um, you guys and the devs from, from Ubuntu asking the community, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? How do you feel about guest sessions? So is this like a uh, – is is does this what normally happens for a release that there's so much involvement with the community or is this a like a new thing? Um it's it it is and it isn't. Like we'll always we've always put the questions out there for, you know, what should we do about this? Should this be the default application or should it be that? Um, you know, how do we feel about this piece of infrastructure um changing? But the problem was in the past, all those conversations happened either on an IRC channel somewhere or on a mailman mailing list somewhere. And it's really hard and that's quite a barrier for people outside of the project who are enthusiastic users to join in and even see that stuff. Like the desktop team might have a conversation that might last an hour on IRC and they might get loads of um, interesting points across and um, make lots of really good decisions about what the way the Ubuntu desktop is going to go forward. But nobody knows about it because it's buried in an IRC log somewhere that nobody is ever going to read, <laughs> right? And and that's what used to happen. And so I worked with some uh, RIS people to set up the community hub. And um, I worked with Will Cook, who runs the desktop team, in order to move some of those conversations out of IRC and move them off of mailing lists onto the community hub, because the community hub is very easy for people to just 
well, consume. You could just come along and view the thread about, do we want to have a guest session or what should the theme be? You could read that thread and it's very easy to find. It's a nice, easily tweetable link. You know, you could share it easily. Um, and also news organizations can find it. They can see what we're talking about rather than, like I said, buried on an IRC log somewhere that no one will ever see. So that was, it was a key goal of this cycle is to implement the community hub so that we could make it easier for people to join us along this journey towards 1804. So it's always happened, but it's more visible now. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So one of those things that came up in the news is about guest sessions and you guys are reaching out to the community wanting to know, Hey, we had to strip this out due to the GDM login manager. When we switched to GNOME, do you guys really want it back? Cause it's going to take some development time here. And is it worthwhile? It's personally something I love because when I have family members and stuff come over, I create a guest session. That's what they can use. But I also thought, you know, from a personal standpoint, is it really worth them spending a ton of time on so that when family members could come on, they'd have their own guest session? What are, what are your thoughts? Is this something you guys have made a decision on yet or is it still up in the air? No, it's still up in the air. This, I mean, that's why that thread was created. The yeah. guy who started the thread, Robert Ansel was actually the guy who created LightDM in the first place, which had the guest session as an option. Like we saw that as a need, however many years ago we implemented the guest session. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, GDM doesn't have that as a feature. And it, given you know our previous conversation about only having six months to go from um, uh, 1704 with Unity to 1710 with GNOME, it was... It was one of those decisions that we just had to take. Are we going to switch to GDM and lose the guest session and revisit it in the next cycle? Or do we try and use LightDM with GNOME? And that that's, that's also hard. So we right. had to make a call one way or the other, and we chose to go GDM so that we could get 1710 out the door. Now we can revisit it. We've got a bit of time between now and 1804. We revisit it. Do we want to put the guest session back into GDM? And that's what that thread is all about. It's trying to like feel the vibe of the community of, you know, do people actually use it? You know, it was all very well having a feature there, but someone's right. going to maintain it and not only maintaining it, but maintain security updates for it. Because if you, if you have a button that someone can press on your computer when you're away from the keyboard and they can log in, what can they see? Are they able to see your files? Is that guest session nice and secure? Can they break out of that? Can they do change network configuration or disable your VPN or, you know, what, what can they do in that session? And so, it's an, it's an important topic and it's something that needs a lot of consideration. It's not something we're doing lightly, which is, you know, why that thread exists. Right. Rocco, what do you think? Is that something you use ever, guest sessions? I have never used the guest session because I don't I don't have a situation where people would need to use my computer. Or, or you don't have friends? Is that what you're saying? I have zero friends. I have <laughs> Ryan. Ryan is the only friend I have. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't no. that a sad state of affairs? <laughs> but uh, like I said, I don't have a, a situation where people would come over and need to use my computer. Yeah. I I don't use it very often. I replied on the thread with all the use cases that I have, and I and I have used it recently at a conference when someone else their laptop broke and they said, "Oh, can I use somebody else's laptop to give a presentation?" Well, I'm not going to let him log in as me. I'd rather <laughs> he he used the guest session, so I log in as a guest session. He opens his presentation and away he goes. And I feel safe knowing that he's not going to screw my laptop up. But that's quite rare. I don't do that very often. So, you know, that's that's why we need to gauge it because we just don't know how many people use it. Right. Well, there's also a thread about sounds, system sounds. So, 
they're, you're talking about new system sounds in 1804. So is that like a big thing or what? Um, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a big thing. It's certainly some people appreciate having sounds there. They can auditory cues, for example, for people who have, um, they make for bad recording (laughs) (laughs) for people who have vision problems. It's, it's important for some people. Right. Um, and I remember when our last sound theme was created, um, a guy called Pete Savage, who lives just down the road from me, um, created a sound theme for Ubuntu. Um, we had a startup sound, we had a shutdown sound, we had all kinds of different sound effects within the system. And, you know, there are, there are um, points to say both ways, whether you either want them or not, right? Some people like them, right. some people just don't, you know. Um, and... Uh, it, it would be nice if they were there. So for those people who like them, they can have them. Um, and given that 1804 is is quite a big release for us because we're switching to GNOME and you know, all these people who've come along this journey with us with Unity are going to come along the new journey with GNOME. Maybe it's time for a, not only the visual refresh, but an audio refresh as well. So I don't, I don't know if we're going to actually end up doing it. It's just a conversation at the moment, but it would be nice. If- well, one of the things uh, that was also in the news here was Ubuntu looking for a new theme. Mm. So there are two things I would complain about, I would whine about, and I know you could say, "Go fix them yourself" if you got a problem with it, and you'd be right. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, one is the software store. Everything else. Let me first say, seventeen dot ten is amazing. Mm. I absolutely, I agree. Love it. Two things I don't like, software store, the themes, the default themes. I'm ready for Ubuntu to take on some new themes. So I was excited to see this. You guys are looking for a new theme. You're letting the community kind of run this a little bit, which is, you know, uh, are, are, are you guys going to definitely go with something the community submits here? Or is this... It uh, depends Depends what okay. the community comes up with, because if it's an absolute car crash, then you, know, <laughs> right. you don't want that. You don't want to commit saying yeah whatever you come up with that's you know that's our and if someone comes up with you know bright magenta and cyan desktop and Rocco. you know flashing black header bars and stuff like no that's some people happen. like flashing black header bars yeah, yeah i know how dare you alan you just offended me i know i know i'm sorry <laughs> you can have your flashing header bars just don't do it near me that's fine okay so going along with that all of the changes that are all of the news articles are about refreshing 1804 um and another one is about a new icon theme mm. so the article talks about it's going to be the default almost like the decision is made is that that is true suru is going to be the default uh, I don't know. Uh, that's something the desktop team and the community that comes around it will decide for themselves. It's uh, I. It, it would be wrong of me to say, yeah, that's going to be the new set of icons, <laughs> because what, you, what you've also got to figure out is, does it fit? You know, do are we going to have a situation where we've got, you know, most of the icons are going to be this Suru theme or whichever theme it is. And then there's two or three that don't match that that are some other third party branding, like, you know, the Firefox icon, maybe Mozilla right. don't want you to have an icon that looks like that because that's their branding. Maybe Google don't want you to have a Chrome icon or a Chromium icon that looks like that. So we've got to be, you know, careful. Um, but equally, yeah, we want to, we want to push the boat out a little bit and have something 
a little different, a better you know visual style, a visual identity for for Ubuntu. And I think that's why all of those three threads kind of go together, like the sound, the theme, the icon set. You know, let's get all of those things together um, and build a community around making those better. Because yeah, you're right. We've had the same thing for years and years. So let's let's give it a refresh. It's exciting. I think yeah. I, I'm excited yeah, I to see what. I, and and do you know we if if the community hub didn't exist, this would have been a thread on a mailing list somewhere, <laughs> and nobody would be talking about it, and nobody right. would know about it, and nobody would reply and say. Hey, I'm interested in helping out because they'd have been stuck trying to figure out how to sign up to mailman mailing lists, right? <laughs> so this with the with the hub, very true. They can go there, press a button, log in with their Launchpad account. You're done. Yep. Well, I think you guys, if 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 you listen to the show, Rocco is the most uh, particular individual in the world when I don't it comes know what to you're the talking thing. about. Dude. If he sees, and I'm not joking here, if he if he sees a pixel off, he will notate it. If you guys can get Rocco involved, you will have the greatest thing mankind has ever seen. <laughs> you know what? That that is one thing we do need. I I think we definitely need people who have that eye for yeah. when things don't line up, or you know that color looks slightly wrong, or Those you know, things where things don't fit. Insane. You are Great. so talented at it, Rocco. We didn't get him logged in. <laughs> Welcome to the team. <laughs> Rocco, you're hired. <laughs> well, I run uh, 1710 and I, I actually, oh, you're I qualified as well. I absolutely Brilliant. love it. You're so, qualified. <laughs> well, it took me from, I used to run a gnome session and I, I put on the Ubuntu sessions just to check it out. And I actually have less extensions installed because of the fact that a lot of things are built in now. Hmm. So I can't wait to see what 1804 looks like when they do all the refresh. So yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure at what point I'm going to bump my laptop from 1710 to 1804 and track 1804. I'm not sure when I'll be brave enough to do that. But yeah, it will be soon, I would, I would imagine. What else we got in the news, Rocco? Well, moving along uh, off of Ubuntu news, but we just stay with the icon theme. Um, Papyrus icon theme released a new update. And this theme is absolutely awesome this is the theme this is the icon theme that i run and it has six variants of it it has arc darker arc dark uh, a light theme with breeze colors adapta and a few others but the changes in this thing are amazing okay they they may all be small changes uh, added a crosshair icon for the xfce for task manager added a workaround for gnome default applications icon but these small changes are, you know, what you had said before, Ryan, about you know, these, me being the way I am. These make an icon set either good or great. And the list of changes here, and I'm scrolling through it now, are unbelievable how many icons they have actually changed. I don't even want to count. I'm scrolling and scrolling down. But what I love about it too is a lot of this software that I see when I scroll through is is mainstream software that a lot of people use too. So it's great that all of it's getting updated. But there are also a lot of software pieces in here I've never heard of. So everybody's kind of winning here, right? Well, Papyrus there- is one of those icon themes that you can install and pretty much 
it has an icon for yeah. every piece of software you have. Now that That's may awesome. not fit for uh, something like Ubuntu situation where maybe, like you said, Alan, Firefox might not want you to switch their icon. Okay. But for somebody who's running uh, a, a system that wants a specific icon set, a really good looking one, Papyrus, I don't think you can beat it, dude. You it know, it's pretty. I like that. You mentioned, Alan, um, or you mentioned Rocco Firefox, and Alan, we forgot to ask you about Firefox. I saw in your in one of your Twitter feeds you were downloading it. Do you like it? What do you think? Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, is this put him on the spot, man? Uh oh, man. I I have a I have a a love hate relationship with Firefox because yeah. I want to use it and I want to love it, but I and I and for a for a couple of years I flip flopped between. Chrome, Chromium, and Firefox. And I would move uh-huh. around and I'd create all my stuff on one and I'd use that for a while. And then something would annoy me and I'd switch to the other one. <laughs> and I'd and I'd use that and then something would annoy me Sounds and so I'd familiar. move to another one. Right? Yeah. And and right now, Chrome has annoyed me less than any of the others for the longest. Wow, so Rock. with Chrome. Alan's on your side. He's not on my side. He's just <laughs> looking at things in an objective way. And, and oh, it seems to be sound wisdom to me. But that said, but, with Firefox 57, the new quantum stuff, um, I would be stupid not to look at it because maybe it is faster. Maybe it is more lightweight. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's prettier. Maybe it has all the features I need. I don't know until I try it. So I, I just need to try it. And I haven't so, yet. Oh, you haven't downloaded it. Okay. Well, I kind of have, but uh, it's a special build. Um, which Oh, uh, uh, oh, oh <laughs> gotcha. Nice. Move. No, we won't push any further. Nothing up. to see here. Keep moving along. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right. You'll so, find out more about that another day. Okay. Sounds good. So Solus has some news. What is it, Ryan? Let's see what's going on in Solus. So if you're a developer distributing a game on Linux, just got a tad bit easier. We're talking about snaps making things easier. Well, Solus is out there uh, doing some work with gaming and Steam specifically to... How are they doing it? They're, they've got 70 titles that they've tested so far, but they're basically compiling a lot of the work that Ike and the team there does to make Steam integrate so well within Solus, and they're packaging it so that anybody can use it. They're, they're basically taking a little Solus distribution and packaging it up as little as needed for the files and <laughs> packaging it up as a snap where it can be deployed on any desktop environment and you would be able to run the steam games steam library steam itself without having issues like there are issues multiple issues when you try to run steam in different uh distributions different uh, desktop environments so this pretty much could would make it universal where anybody could run it well, yeah, Solus has the optimized libraries. They've got the modern native runtime. They have proper Steam integration with the icons and the taskbars and how it shows up. And it's just, he spent a lot of time on that. But this is the big message here. We hear it a lot. They talk about why do people in the Linux development community not come together and share some of their work instead of reinventing the wheel constantly? 
This is an example of that happening right here. He's done all this work. His teams have done all this work and they're giving it out there to anybody who wants to use it. Pretty awesome. What do you think, Ellen? I love it. I think it's pretty. What I really like is the, well, obviously I like that he's using snaps for this. Mm-hmm. This is not something we envisaged. Like people are using snaps for things that we didn't think would necessarily happen. Like Anbox that I mentioned earlier. We didn't envisage that someone would make uh, an Android emulator and make it available as a snap, but it does make sense. And we didn't necessarily envisage that someone would take not just Steam and put it in a snap because that's that that's not especially fantastic. But taking all these runtime libraries and putting the best of breed of those runtime libraries and integrating it all together that is innovative. That's and, cool. And I think that's what makes this stand out as a as a good use of technology and a good use of his time. Yep. Yeah, well, if I if I got anything wrong, Ike will be sure to tell me I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good at that. He will see. He will seek you out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. He might just tweet about it, Rocco. You never know. Well, there's also the brisk menu. So the brisk menu has seen a new release, zero point five point zero, and it has some great changes to it. Now, the brisk menu is a a, a work in progress, basically. It started out as a really quick menu for the Mate desktop. And slowly but surely, they have added more and more features. And one of the features that I absolutely love and been wanting since day one was the favorites. And they've Mm -hmm. added those, which is something that I think that you need in a menu. There There are many menus out there, but if you don't have certain features, it kind of, you're used to, you have muscle memory, you know, you open the menu, you want to be able to get to your program. So they've added uh, favorite support. They've added action support, pinning, and they're, they're talking about modularity. And I think that we'll have to have Ike on for an episode to talk about what all that means specifically. Well, the fans won't love that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the changes are awesome. And there's more coming, too. So there's talk about a dashboard-like view of it. So we'll have to see what happens. But I think it's exciting. It's funny because something like a favorites menu is one of those things that you, you think about and you're like, what's the big deal until you don't have one? And then you're like, well, I really relied on that favorites menu a lot more than I thought. So I thought a lot of the changes that they're making made a lot of sense in there were good stuff. So Rocco, there is an operating out system out there now that's going to make it easy to bring Gentoo to you. You're no longer going to have to go and read a thousand page manual, watch 70 YouTube videos Go in IRC chat to figure out how to do it. You can just install it from an ISO. What do you think? Well, okay. I've never took the time to install Gen 2. Uh, so I don't, I hear all the advantages of it about um, compiling hardware, compiling packages for your specific hardware to make it faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I got sent screenshots from Surge who sent me screenshots of memory usage on his computer that he has Gen 2 on. Like, I think it was like 148 megabytes of memory it was using. Oh, wow. So the idea of Gen 2 is good, but obviously nobody wants to take the time to install it. So I... Well, guess what? What? You don't have to take the time anymore (laughs) because Red Core Linux has solved the problem for you. 
Now you can just click download, put it onto a USB, and install it. The only problem is it has LXQT's desktop environment. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> uh, go ahead, Rocco. What do you think? You're going to go download and uh, play with it? I'm probably not. I, well, okay. I don't know exactly what Redcore... I don't know ex what the advantage of using Redcore is uh, as far as making it easier. If it makes it easier, that's great. But is it making it easier at a price of not... I mean, the idea is compiling software for your hardware. So you have to do it manually. They're going to do it automatically. If that worked perfectly, maybe it would be a good good thing. I'd have to actually I don't know. try it I, out. I think, I think I will try this out. You think? Because, yeah, yeah, totally. Because I've, I've been meaning to install Gentoo because there are some things I want to try out on Gentoo. And... I don't have the patience to install proper Gen 2. I've tried two or three times <laughs> and it's life is just far too short to install Gen 2. So that should be the tagline for Red Pro Linux. <laughs> the hate mail is going to be coming. <laughs> Bring it. Uh, so I will have a go at installing this Red Core. I mean, I get, I get your point. Like maybe you lose the advantage of like building everything, but I would imagine at a guess, this gets you bootstrapped. And then after that, you could emerge the world and, right. you know, and rebuild everything from scratch for your particular uh, use case. I'm not particularly interested in that because I'll probably run it in a VM anyway. So right. it's largely irrelevant, but yeah, I'll certainly take a look at it. Yeah. So that's what I did. I installed it in a VM. I mean, they have their own, I didn't know a lot about Gen 2 at all, though that one of the uh, guys we talk about and tell, talk to in Telegram, Jonas is a big fan and he recommended I go through the installation process to learn more about Linux at some point. But now I can say I've installed it without having to do all of that. Um, so, you know, it has a nice, you know, package manager and GUI in there that they use um, Sisyphus, I think it's is how you pronounce it. And it's a pretty nice catalog. It kind of reminded me of the AUR repository. And you could just click on stuff and install it. Everything seemed very simple. It came prepackaged with Steam, Wine, Keypass, GIMP, FileZilla. Like it had all these great packages and things included with it. Really good documentation, not only for Gentoo included, but specific to Redcore as well. I was pretty impressed by it. I don't know that it's something like you said I would install outside of VM for me personally, but I was pretty impressed. It was it was well done. That's good to hear. There you go, Rocco. There you go. You've got homework. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> i got many other things to do besides <laughs> do that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, um, we talked about Firefox, uh -huh. the whole quantum thing. Uh, yeah. I am actually, you gave me homework of testing out Firefox. That's right. 57. I can't give you double homework. And I am now, I've been testing it actively during the show. So... All of the screenshots that people are going to see and the 50 tabs that I have open are running in a Firefox 57 window. And I have to say, it's pretty darn fast, man. Rocco, are you making the announcement? No, I'm not making any announcement. That's <laughs> what I heard. So I'm not making an announcement. Did but... you switch to Zubuntu and you're using XFCE only? I have Ubuntu, uh, Zubuntu oh. installed nice. on another okay. drive, but I didn't switch to it. So in case anyone missed it, Rocco has switched to Zubuntu and uses Firefox wow. now. All right. Let's Nothing like on. putting words in my mouth. <laughs> let's get into gaming, Rocco. Let's get into gaming. What have you been playing this week, man? I've been playing a really fascinating game. And there are a few games that I feel like, 
you know, a lot of games are fun and a lot of games have great stories, but there are some games that will stay with you. And the game called This War of Mine is one of those games that will stay with you. It will it will impact you emotionally and it's just it, it's an amazing concept. You they basically put you in a war-torn area where you're constantly being bombed and bombarded. You and this family of four other people are there trying to survive. And it paints a very realistic picture of, in, in a way, of what it would be like to be in one of these war-ridden, besieged cities. Wow. Because you're trying to go out and get supplies. You're trying to survive. There are other families trying to survive. And you have to make the decision. Do you take the water from the other family by force? Do you try to share? Do you, you know, um, go out and steal the supplies you need to protect you and your family or others? This game stays with you and they talk about truly experiencing the horrors of war. And when I put it down, first of all, I couldn't stop playing. I had to work and it was like two o'clock in the morning. I just kept going and going because it's a day and night cycle game. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. And then when I, I couldn't go to sleep because I kept thinking about how many people may be making these decisions in real life. It's an amazing game. It's $3.99 right now until November 28th. It goes up back to $19.99. I'd pay $19.99 for it tomorrow. That's how good it is. It's amazing. Something I definitely think you should check out for the story alone. Very nice. So again, you, what kind of game is it? Uh, is it an FPS? Is it's it a- it's kind of like a survival game. I, I would I, and I would say a little bit of RPG elements and kind of like rustish in a way. You're going out scavenging for supplies, trying to build things to survive, but you're doing so by taking from other people every time. So keep that in mind. Well, for three ninety nine, you might want to pick it up. What do you think, there Alan? You go. Yeah, uh, I think I will actually. I'll stick it on my. Uh, I'll stick it on my wish list at least. But yeah, sounds interesting. Yep. Nice. All right. So, Ryan, what is Beast Man's Beast Mancer all about, <laughs> dude? Monster taming tactical RPG from the developer of Nomad Fleet, releasing on November first. What more do you need to know, Rocco? Um, I don't know what it's about. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> what is it? Like, oh, it's got a cool website. I mean, but what's the it, game about? Well, it looks kind of, I don't know how to describe it because it, it almost is Pokemon-ish, right? But then it's not because every all these beasts are coming together, battling each other in, in the middle of this arena, doing damage, flanking. It looks like it has some RPG elements, some battle arena styles to it. Okay, so does it run on Linux? It does indeed run on Linux. That's the only thing we're concerned about. <laughs> That's all that matters. No tux, no bucks. So they, they describe Beastmancer. It's a monster-taming tactical RPG. Plays an adventure and fantasy world. Capture monsters, make them fight, and turn-based battles. The graphics look really cool. It almost reminds me of some of those um, games you would get on your uh, device, like the what is it? Zombies versus plants and those tactical arena games. And yet the graphics are very much desktop level 3D graphics. Beautiful. Something to check out. What else do we have in gaming that you're excited about, Rocco? Because I know this next one Dude, you're excited about. I am so excited about this next one. If there mm-hmm. was ever a game that I wanted to buy or donate to, it would be this one. Uh, it's called Trooper Brook. And mm-hmm. It's an adventure game with Linux support, 
And it's on Kickstarter. Now, for the Kickstarter, they have already reached their goal. Okay, so their goal was, let me see here, 94000 And they have uh, have 145000 right now. So they've reached their goal with 26 days to go. But this game is absolutely beautiful. It has all, all of this scenery in the game is... Now, I don't know exactly how other games are made, but they build all of the levels on this game like in real life they build it they paint they build sets they build sets and then they match the game to it with the lighting and everything it's you have to watch the video because it looks absolutely beautiful so it does it it, it is it's it's gorgeous i love it it's amazing that they put in here inspired by twin peaks the x-files stranger things and star trek it's like they got into my mind and picked all my favorite things (laughs) (laughs) it's set in cold world uh cold war germany okay and it's it's basically an adventure game which i love adventure games that's like one of my favorite but like i said for this is the best part ryan get this on their kickstarter Uh uh-huh for uh what is this? Five euros, about six dollars. You can receive all the updates and exclusive digital uh, wallpaper. But you keep going up, and you get the twenty-nine dollar one where you get a digital copy of the game. There's a seventy-dollar uh, one, digital plus edition, where you get a digital copy of the game, the art book, soundtrack, and you get your name in the credits, and you get your name featured in a prominent spot in the game. <laughs> It's absolutely How cool awesome. Is that? <laughs> so is that my gift, Rocco? No. <laughs> Hold on, let me think. No. No. <laughs> so it's it's due for delivery in September next year, right? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely right. not close to being out yet, but I love right. the fact that they have said, you know, it will support Linux. Great. It looks very pretty. It really does. Yep. So that's our news, Rocco. That's our gaming news. And we had Alan here to do it with us. How cool is that? <laughs> Alan, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Is there you got do you have anything else you wanna say before we go? No. No. Uh just except uh, that we took so much of your time. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I'll go and get another beer in a minute. It's fine. Uh, I've been I've been nursing one for like the last two hours. <laughs> it's time for another one. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. All right. So everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Well, Alan, I know you want to go get another beer. And thank you so much for being on the show, truly. Thank you, you guys. You made my day, but you made Rocco's life, I think. You made my day, man. You made my day. I appreciate it. Oh, you guys. Well, you're going to have to come back sometime, so. Please. Screw you guys. I'm never coming on this thing ever again. (laughs) Well, maybe next time you come on, maybe we'll be a little bit better prepared. Or maybe you could just remember that I won't tell you that you can cover some of the news and you can just cover some of the news. (laughs) You know what he's laughing about right now is the next time he comes on, he's like, yeah, that's going to happen. This chicken outfit. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) 
All right, man. Thanks, right. Alan. Thanks. Take, Take care, care, guys. See you. See you.